I am Denise Barker. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm in a very part-time capacity, but it's great to be worshiping with you this morning. I want to tell you a little story. One night when my daughters were little, about three and five, my mom called me to tell me that there was going to be a lunar eclipse. I'd never seen a lunar eclipse, and I was convicted that my daughters, they needed this. And they needed it bad because, you know, my girls were going to be STEM girls. And they needed to see a lunar eclipse, and I was sure. I was sure of that. So I immediately hoisted my youngest daughter out of the bathtub, and I wrapped her in a big towel, wet hair, and I grabbed my other little girl. We ran out to the front yard to look up and see the lunar eclipse, only to realize we had all these trees. And I thought, okay, come on, girls, let's get in the suburban, and we're going to drive to the end of the block, and we'll be able to see it. Well, we got to the end of the block, and there was cloud cover. So I thought, okay, well, we're just going to go to the end of Northwest Military in 410, and we'll be able to find the darkest restaurant available, and we'll park the car and we'll watch the lunar eclipse. I, I really believe this was a critical experience for them. And so um, my husband was working late, and, you know, we had cell phones back then. They're about the size of a DVD player, you know, at that point in time. And so I, I, I um, thought, well, we've been there about an hour. I learned very quickly that there's nothing quick about a lunar eclipse. I thought it was going to be like over like that, you know? And then I felt a bump. We didn't have backup cameras then either. So I backed into this car. I was like, oh, great. So I went into the restaurant. I was a good person. I was going to tell them and do the right thing. And, and I found them, and it turns out they were on vacation. Not happy. Called the police. I'm like, oh, do we have to call the police? And um, so I'm going to the car. I'm getting my insurance card out. I pull it out, and sure enough, it expired the day before. And then it occurred to me, the police are coming. You know, they have those big flashlights. And my daughter was naked in the back seat. <laughs> so I said, like any good mother would say, get in the third seat, duck down, the police come and hide. My five-year-old was totally hysterical, crying in the front seat. And then come to think of it, I had left my house barefooted, and I thought to myself, I'm not sure it's legal to drive barefooted, so I thought reluctantly, I have to call my husband. I call him, where are you? The front door is open, and there's water everywhere. Where's the kids? I'm like, well, there was a lunar eclipse. I thought the kids should see it. I, I'm sure that they need that for their education. I know what's best for my daughters. But I was just wondering if you could bring me a pair of shoes. <laughs> my intentions were good. I was sure my daughters needed to see this lunar eclipse. It was going to be important in their lives. It was going to make them who they were, right? I was sure of this. Now, you might ask my daughters, and they would disagree. <laughs> in fact, they wouldn't wish that experience on anyone. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for this day, for this day to come and worship you and praise you. I ask, O oh Lord, that my words would be pleasing to you. And Lord, especially that you would open each of the hearts and my heart that are here today and speak to us. And give us, give us that affirmation of your grace and love. And Lord, put us to work. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to read the scripture right now up front. It comes from the, gospel, or from the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians. You can open your Bibles or follow along on the screen. He, God, has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
He is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I, I love that. All the, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. In this letter, Paul shares that Christ is at the center of creation on a cosmic scale. This significant text is called a Christ hymn. It is the earliest writing relating Jesus to all of creation. Paul's letters were prior to the Gospel of John because we find this again, don't we, in the Gospel of John in the opening chapter. In the beginning was the word, this pre-existent Christ. This hymn addresses to the Colossians whether or not the cosmos or all of creation have a benevolent order. A benevolent order, right? Did God create a world to be a place full of love? Is this world to be the place that prophets describe where the lion and the lamb lie down together? Where there will be no more weeping, where justice will roll down like waters? And righteousness and ever-flowing stream. And if this is so, is this benevolent order accessible to humanity? In the midst of human suffering, we continue to ask that question. Life is messy. Just ask my daughters. Instead, we forget this promise and we find ourselves alienated over and over again from abundant life with one another in God. Colossians proclaims that God rescues us from this darkness, this human-made mess, and transfers us to the kingdom of the Son, of the Messiah. Christ is sovereign and ruler of this kingdom where we have been redeemed and forgiven. He came to show us this invisible God and what this invisible God looks like we read in the Gospels, right? Jesus proclaimed good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. He sets the oppressed free. Jesus, who shows us this invisible God through healing of the sick, eating with sinners and prostitutes, talking to the outcast Samaritan woman. He clothed the naked and fed the hungry. That's what our invisible God looks like. From the beginning, kingdom building was the mission of Christ. This mission is older than the church, right? It was present from the dawn of creation in the garden. In this kingdom, we're called to live in harmony and at one with God, loving ourselves and loving our neighbor and in loving creation and caring for it. Our mission as the church is to be in alignment with this kingdom building work. 
That's part of our job. Knowing always and everywhere that Christ is the head of this work, the one true reconciler. Verse 19 and 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The incarnation, right? Divinity intermingling with humanity. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Over the next several weeks, the pastors are looking at this kingdom work the church is called to do. We're using a book called When Helping Hurts. Pastor Lorinda introduced it last week, and if you um, are inclined, I would encourage you to read this. There's, there's much more in this book. It is a great primer for us as people in the kingdom-building business. The book takes a close look at where we, as good-intentioned Christians, sometimes miss the mark in the work of compassion due to misconceptions, particularly around the alleviation of poverty, both at home and globally, creating for some a lunar eclipse experience with potentially harmful consequences. Last week, Lorinda began by describing poverty as relationships essentially that don't work. There's alienation in these relationships. They're not just. They're not for life. They're not harmonious. They're not enjoyable. When it comes to poverty is defined by broken relationships, there is no us and them. When we understand poverty as alienation, we're all part of the puzzle, all right? We're all in it. Scripture is grounded in this truth from the book of Genesis to Revelation. Poverty in any form is a result of alienation. Do you, do, can you buy that, right? Poverty in any form is the result of alienation. And recovery of poverty involves the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Particularly around four foundational relationships that humanity has. Number one, first and foremost, our relationship with God. Number two, our relationship with ourselves, especially when we fail to understand ourselves as made in the image of God, male and female, or we begin to see ourselves as God. Number three, our relationship with others, and the brokenness we find in familial relationships or relationships with our neighbors, those we like and those we don't. And finally, with creation itself, it has become so evident lately that our world, that our earth is crying, our oceans and our air and our wildlife. We as a human race made decisions that have impacted this. As middle class North American citizens, our inclination is to recognize poverty only as material poverty. Right? That's normally how we think of poverty. And to solve this, we have a solution, and that is to add resources to the missing materials. Now, no child should go hungry. We should feed those who are hungry. And no one should live in a home that's not safe. We should shelter those who are. The immediate physical needs that are acted out of compassion should be done. But sometimes we can overdo it. Sometimes we can, we, with projects and purchases. I, I, I will never forget an immigrant family. 
still working on learning in English. They were in front of me at a line at, at a Walmart in Bernie, and they had a cart full of toys. I mean, doubled in height, right? In the boxes, and they were returning them. I'm pretty sure they didn't have the income to purchase all those toys. I suspect they were given to them out of the goodness of someone's heart. But I was so stunned to see them returning them. And the cashier was saying, well, I can only give you $25 cash without a receipt. And they was like, oh, and they had a parcel of kids all around them. And they were like, okay, okay, okay. I suspect we didn't ask them what they needed. Sometimes we need to address larger issues in conjunction with the triaging of immediate physical needs. Perhaps our responses are not always thought through or we, we create with relationships with those that in, without learning their true needs. And then, do you know what happens? The inevitable when we do this. We provide resources out of the goodness and of our heart, out of the generosity of our spirit, and they're not appreciated. And, and maybe they're not even used. And then we get mad. And we get angry. And we feel betrayed and disillusioned. And that leads to a phenomena we call compassion fatigue. And then what really happens is the relationship between you and the other, that neighbor, is damaged. It's damaged. First and foremost, claim this. In a broken and hurting world, poverty alleviation is based on the ministry of reconciliation. Moving people closer to God by living in right relationships with God. Moving people closer to understanding themselves. To understand their value in the world. To know themselves. Moving people closer to others, right? To neighbors, to community. And finally, moving us closer to to relationship with creation and the earth itself. To restore people to the full expression of being human. To being what God created each of us to be. So that imago dei is lived out in everyone, male and female. And so reconciliation of relationships is our guiding compass for poverty alleviation. As we do this, we keep in our, our forefront that we don't always know what that individual needs. It's the author's point in this book that we can actually do harm. He suggests five different um, things to think about, implications. Number one, praying for transformation together with those individuals you seek to walk alongside. Praying together, not just going to fix it yourself, but working with them to fix it together, right? A seminary professor once asked me and when I was in seminary, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray to be part of the solution? Number two, we, we, we remember that faith comes from hearing. We know that Christ is the reconciler and we are in ministry with Christ. We have to find a way to share the gospel. Right? To, to grow that relationship with God, they need to know about this God we proclaim. But we need to do it in a way that's helpful, right? A way that's helpful to share. They could be very angry. They could be in the midst of extreme suffering, have abandoned the church or felt abandoned by the church. They could be angry at God. They could not believe in God. We have to be respectful of how we share the gospel and when we share the gospel. 
Number three, we focus on people and processes, not products and projects. The goal is to see people restored to being what God created them to be so that they can use their gifts, their abilities to transform the world. This happens most effectively in highly relational ministries. Highly relational ministries. It's hard work. It's, it's not simply providing material goods. Those are required. But it is empowering individuals to find their God-given talents to work and find meaningful employment and serve the world again. Number four, people are materially poor most often as a result of personal decisions and broken systems and structures. Jesus is concerned with fixing both. And we are called also to mitigate broken systems, criminal justice systems, educational systems, refugee systems, energy systems, financial systems, agricultural systems, trade systems. They're really complicated to be in not my wheelhouse. But we have to be aware of them. And sometimes when we're in the middle of serving people and we find that maybe they don't seem grateful, our first response is, well, they're poor because they're just so lazy. They're lazy. Or maybe they're doing, maybe they have an addiction problem. And we begin to make these judgments and we forget about the fact that they're born into very broken systems globally, completely out of their power. Scripture tells us this throughout its history. The work that we're called to do in addition to compassion is the work of advocacy. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is advocate for us. We are called to be advocate for others, particularly the vulnerable and the powerless. And finally, we need to remember that in the work of reconciliation ministry, when we're working one-on-one, -on -one, we have to remember that our worldview and the person we're walking with worldview may be very different. Theologically, economically, parenting styles, it could be a very different set of rules that governs their lives. When I work with women from different countries, I often ask them the question, what is the image of God to you? Describe the image of God, and I'm going to tell you, folks, I work with women from around the world, they often say, I believe it's a white man sitting in a chair with a long white beard. And it kind of breaks my heart, right? Because... How are they to get close to that God sometimes, particularly if they've been abused? Some of you know that I run a shelter called Magdalena House. It's here in San Antonio. It was started out of this church by the people of this church. It's a transitional neighborhood of homes for women and children fleeing violence and abuse, primarily domestic violence and trafficking. And right now I'd like to introduce you to just one of the moms. Her name's Dora. I was living at the house, somebody at somebody else's house. I don't even have friends at that time, so I don't know, I don't know anything, nothing. I don't even know how to speak English, nothing at all. You know, the house closed, my room was closed. I don't have no friends. My son wasn't here, no family. Shattered like you've never been before. The life you knew. In a thousand pieces on the floor And words fall short in times like these But this world drives you to your knees You think you're never gonna get back To the youth they used to be Dora, 
Laura came to us, um, was brought to us through the Trafficking Coalition. We were a shelter provider for them, and she wouldn't look at me. I don't think she made eye contact with me the whole time. She would only look at the ground, and um, she didn't speak any English at the time, and um, her son was still in El Salvador, so she was here by herself, of course. And so she was basically, she said nothing. She didn't look at me. She was just there. Beginning, just let that word wash over you. It's all right now. Love's healing hands have pulled you through. So get back up, take step one. Leave the darkness, feel the sun. Cause your story's far from over. And your journey's just begun. At that time, at that moment, I don't, I don't look people in the face. When Denise met me at that moment, uh, she, she's just like, hey, like wake me up and say, hey, look at me at, at my face. And say, put your face, you know, lift your face and, and look at me, talk to me. And I was just like, I, I want it. I want to talk to her. I want to, you know, but I, I can't. I, I can't talk to her at that moment and that time. Uh, I knew nothing about who she was. I, I couldn't get a feel other than she was terrified. But she did look around this place at all the trees and she just said how beautiful it was and um, how wonderful it would be to be here. And then of course she moved into Magdalena House and um, she just became a rock star. When I meet everybody else, like, Everyone is like loving me, you know, they don't know me. And that was like very impact my life. Because these people, they don't know where I come from. They don't know me at all. And they still love me no matter, no matter who I was. She, she went through a, some anguish though in the beginning, really trying to discover who she was. and. She hated God, and she, 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 she couldn't believe that anybody could would have gone through what she experienced in life, and how, and how could that be? Um, but she, she grew past that. She, she says we gave her her life back. Tell your heart to beat again. Close your eyes and breathe it in. Let the shadows fall away. Step into the light of grace. Yesterday is a closing door. You don't live there anymore. Say goodbye to where you've been. And tell your heart to beat again. Your heart to beat again. just I realized that it, that wasn't my life that I wanted I don't know like at inside I was like screaming for help and um, I think one day somebody hear me so Dora is one of my heroes she was in El Salvador as a, as a young girl and a man uh, found her she lived in a dirt floor house and um, he fell in love with her and gave her a ring and was going to marry her and bring her to Houston. And, um, and she kept, she would tell me, but he gave me a ring, you know, and, and, um, she brought her to Houston and sold her. Um, 
And so to a, a man and wife, and she was locked in their home. That's the part she describes in the beginning. She couldn't get out. She, she had no connection with anyone. She was one of the fortunate women in trafficking who was able to escape. But Dora, an avowed atheist, hated God. What happened? I mean, how did it, how did it happen? She lived with us two years, and she took English classes. And, you know, that's not rocket science. She, just, she went to school, lived with us, and we just, we just were there. We, we loved her every day. We, um, she loved us back. Sooner or later, she began to trust, so eventually relationships with others was reconciled. And as time went on, she began to reconcile the relationship with herself, that she, she was not just some throwaway item, that she was valuable and she had gifts and talents. And eventually, Dora reconciled with God. Dora is a church planner in Florida. <laughs> She's also the floor manager of a BMW, but she writes hymns in English, and um, she's amazing. She's amazing. Long-term studies show that um, traumatic experience has traumatic experiences have the under have the ability to undermine every relationship a person has. Chronic alienation of self and others and God. We know that safe homes and having the opportunity to make your own choices, to have a say in things, to be surrounded by people who empower you and care about you, those are the ingredients to mitigating trauma as well as doing the work of reconciliation. With Dora, it was one-on-one, -on -one, one day at a time, slowly restoring trust and dignity to this broken woman. But simultaneously, she restored me. Countless stories of abuse take its toll, but Dora rose from the ashes and had hope, and so I was reconciled. I like to think I've learned some things since the lunar eclipse. It can't just be our idea. We have to listen. We have to learn. We have to walk alongside for a long time. If we don't, we might find ourselves in a panic calling someone to bring us our shoes. God has rescued us from the presence and power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to advance this very kingdom of God. I believe it does and will continue to do so. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray to be part of the solution? And if not, will you? Christ Jesus, we give you thanks for the gospel. Give you thanks for the gifts you have given us to mediate trauma and to provide the ministry of reconciliation. We ask, oh God, that you remind us of this and equip us and empower us to do things even greater than we could ever imagine. In Christ's name we pray, amen.